The word of our Lord from the Gospel of Luke says, Now Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste to a city of Judah and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. And it happened when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary that the babe leapt in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Then she spoke out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. But why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For indeed, as soon as the, as the voice of your greeting sounded in my ears, the babe leapt in my womb for joy. Blessed is she who believed, for there will be a fulfillment of those things which were told her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior, for he has regarded the lowly estate of his maidservant. For behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed, for he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. His mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation, and he has shown his strength with his arm. He has shattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He has put down the mighty from their thrones, and he has exalted the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his seed forever." And Mary remained with her about three months and then returned to her house. Let's pray. Stir up your power, O Lord, and with great might come among us. And because we are sorely hindered by our sins, let your bountiful grace and mercy speedily help and deliver us. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, to whom with you and the Holy Spirit be honor and glory, now and forever we pray. Amen. This is a time of year that we often associate with joy and with peace. We talk about the joy of the season. We talk about calls for celebration. We talk about peace and we talk about looking forward to that day when all things will will be put back together, when wrongs will be righted, and when injustices will will be taken care of. It's a time where we think about world peace and global peace, and that's what all the politicians talk about on the news. Is this is a time of, of peace and, and a, a time where we walk, ought to work toward peace. We see store banners greeting us to celebrate and to be excited, and often those celebrations and excitement are about big sales that they've got going on or buy one, get three. Um, but this is a time where we think about these two ideas of joy and peace. They overwhelm our, our vocabulary during this time of year. The interesting thing, though, about this time of year is it's a time when we rarely encounter joy and peace. At least if we're not careful, we're, we rarely encounter joy and peace. You might be sitting there thinking, what are you talking about? I've never been more excited about Christmas in my whole life. I feel like a kid again. Or you might be saying, I am a kid and I'm just looking forward to that day. This may be a, a, a season where somehow, some way, you've fought back all those things that, 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 that fight for you to not have peace, and you've established for yourself some peaceful time. Maybe you've taken me up on my invitation a couple of weeks ago to, 
to bathe in the songs and to feast on the scriptures. And you've set aside time and you've, you've made sure to protect yourself against those forces that will beat out the joy from your life and the peace from your life. But many of us find that this is a season filled with cynicism, resentment, anger, stress, and worry. It's a season where we battle the crowds and we fight off those who are trying to get that one last new Nintendo that's on the shelf that we were wanting for our kid. We think of this, many of us, as a time where joy and peace are hard to come by. They are hot commodities that no one can seem to get their hands on. Supply and demand seems to be difficult for us in the joy and peace department. But this is a season that the scriptures call us to rejoice in. This is a season that even even 700 years before Jesus' birth, the prophets were looking forward to one who would come to make the world right. One who would come, who would, who would bring the world and all of its troubles and all of its chaoses and all of its injustices and all of its, of its disgust and would put the world back together. The prophet Isaiah said, Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and he will bear the burden of the world's governments upon his shoulder. His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. The prophets promised that there was coming a day when the world would be made right. When the world would be put back together. And we live in a time where that day has come, but it has not yet come in its fullness. We are called as the celebrating people of God to rejoice now, to rejoice today, to celebrate what we know will come in its fullness. We live in a time that is really kind of the already but not yet. Christ has indeed come And He has borne our burdens and He has redeemed us. But we have only a foretaste of that redemption. We, during this time of Advent, look forward to that day when He will come again. And His kingdom will be established in its fullness. We live in a time that is between the Advents. Where we are declaring what Christ has done in coming. We, have, we are declaring what it means that, that Christ is Emmanuel, God with us. But we live in a time where that declaration seems almost absurd. Because the world looks around itself and, sh- and scratches its head and says, What are you talking about? There's injustice everywhere. There's oppression everywhere. There, there's hurt and pain and sorrow and loss Everywhere, there's disease, there's death. But we, the church, living in this time between the Advents, are declaring that, that our redemption has come already, but, but not yet. There is cause for rejoicing 
in this time. And we are invited to rejoice in these middle years. We are called to faithfully proclaim that He who came as a baby and bore our sorrows will come as a triumphant King and He will banish those sorrows out of this world. We're called to have the faith of Elizabeth and Mary and Zacharias. When Mary walks in to Elizabeth's home and greets her relative Elizabeth, Elizabeth responds with exceeding joy and celebration in greeting Mary. And she says that the cause of her celebration was because even as Mary's voice sounded, John the Baptist in Elizabeth's womb leapt for joy. And not having heard the news yet of what Mary was expecting in a few more months, Elizabeth knew there's something unique here. And Elizabeth is given this, this miraculously inspired sense of prophetic voice as she declares, you have trusted in God and he will fulfill those things which have been told to you. Blessed are you among women. Blessed is the fruit of your womb. Who am I that the mother of my Lord should come to me? And Mary, in response, offers her Magnificat, her song of celebration. And notice the contents of that song. She says, my soul magnifies the Lord, and then goes down a list of how God is putting the world back together. It's the sort of language of the prophets where the the mountains will be brought low and the valleys will be exalted. Where things are being put back together. Holy is His name, for He has redeemed us with His strong right arm. Mary speaks as though this redemption has already taken place. She's not yet had the baby. But she says, Yahweh's arm has redeemed. Yahweh's arm in the Old Testament was a prophetic image of the Messiah who was to come. And Mary says, our redemption is as good as here. Because the king has arrived. If you read on in chapter 1, you find a prophecy from Zacharias, but that word prophecy, it, it, sounds, it sounds neat and categorized in, in our scriptural vocabularies. What it really is, is it's an exaltation. Zacharias is proclaiming. It says, it says that he is filled with the Holy Spirit. And he begins to, to proclaim, Blessed is the Lord God of Israel, for He has visited and redeemed His people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us. And he's talking about the child that his wife, Elizabeth, has, has given birth to, John the Baptist. He talks of him as the forerunner of Christ, the one who has come, the Lord's messenger, who is preparing the way for the Messiah. And he talks about redemption as being as good as here. 
Because the King is coming. This is a season where we, as we celebrate, we prepare. And as we prepare, we expect great things to come. We expect our Lord to return and put the world back together. It is a season filled with, with these pregnant images of waiting and hoping and joy and, and putting the house in order. Nesting, if you will. And we are called as God's people to rejoice in word. To celebrate through the words of our mouths. When we rejoice in word, we, we think specifically of a couple of things. And you could add more to this list. But this morning, I want you to think about these two particular things. As the celebrating people of God, we, work, we, we celebrate and we rejoice in word by our worship. Gathering as the people of God to celebrate the gospel. Celebrating the redeeming presence of God. And throughout the church's history, throughout the history of God's people, even in the Old Testament, music has been a fundamental, a fundamental part of God's worshiping people. Music is an interesting thing. Music has the capacity to capture both the heart and the mind. Because... Music is a thing of beauty, but it is also a thing of melody. It is, it is a thing of, of imagination. You know, when, you, uh, when you're in high school, probably 11th and 12th grades, you're taking American Lit and then British Lit. I'm, I'm presuming an awful lot about your high school educations. If yours were anything like mine, that's kind of the order of it. And those, those were the years that it happened. But you would get to... Uh, uh, a, a period in, in your academic studies in literature where you would be studying poetry and you'd be reading a whole lot of poetry. You'd be reading a bunch of the numbered sonnets from, from Shakespeare. You, you would read the Italian sonnets and the English sonnets and you'd be comparing how they're set up differently. And you would, you'd be having to read maybe Macbeth or Hamlet or Romeo and Juliet or one of my favorites, Julius Caesar. It's shorter than the others. Um, I'm a slow reader. But you'd be reading poetry and, and you would find you're given maybe something to take home to read and a list of questions that you're supposed to answer. And these are interpretive questions. What does he mean when he says this? And, and what, does he, what does he expect when he says that? And you're scratching your head, reading it over and over and over again, thinking, I have no earthly idea what he's trying to say here. Why won't he just come out with it and say it? That's the nature of poetry. It is intended it is intended to capture our imaginations as it captures our hearts. It's intended to be a thing of beauty and a thing of of creativity. Now some poetry is better than others and some songs are mo- more poetic than others. But music has always been intended to be, in its melodies, a thing of beauty, and in its poetry, a thing of the imagination. 
And it's always been an important part of the worshiping life of God's people. Beauty is an important thing. We need beauty. Have you ever thought it's kind of odd that we, um, and I say we as kind of a collective human race type thing here, because not everybody does, but as a people, we spend money to buy pictures of things, and sometimes those pictures of things aren't, aren't even real things. They're just imagined things. You know, a, a river in the woods that hasn't really been seen. It's just been imagined. It's been seen in the mind's eye. And we spend money to buy those pictures. And sometimes we get real tiny ones, and sometimes we get really large ones. But normally they always have a, a, an elaborate matting and framing. And so what was a picture that's like 8 by 10 suddenly becomes this enormous thing. And we hang it up on our walls. We surround ourselves by beauty. And we seem to naturally do that. When we're getting dressed in the mornings, yes, I did intend to wear this. I don't know what you think about my outfit this morning, but I, 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 I did think, okay, I'm going to wear this tie with this shirt. I think that'll be nice. I'm going to put this sweater over. Somebody even mentioned how large my, my, uh, my tie knot is. And John said, I ah, see so you've brought back the ascot. <laughs> but we, we get ourselves not just so that we're presentable, but so that we, you know, we think, okay, if I have to look at myself in the mirror, I want to at least not think, oh, golly, what a poor, poor people. They have to watch me all the time and look at me. <laughs> We surround ourselves by beauty and we, we look for beauty. We try to create beauty. This year we've been doing the, um, um, the Chrismon project. And some of you have participated in that. And, and if you haven't taken a look at the Chrismons that are on the tree, I'm going to embarrass her and she's going to get mad at me later. But, um, but Christy's done some, some quite elaborate work on the Chrismons she's been making. I'm going to walk over here and grab one. Just, just one that happens to be one of my favorites, a cross. Now, notice she didn't just make a cross. She made a beautiful cross. She made a cross with all sorts of details, and if, if you take a look at it, you'll see all the work that's gone into this thing, painting and gluing and picking out just the right things. Even the shape of the cross. It's not just a plain old cross. Now, there's nothing wrong with just a plain old cross. But it's important that we surround ourselves in, in our lives with things that are beautiful. Because God is the author of all beauty. He's the one that created this world. And you know what he said? He said, that's pretty good. And in our worship, we are... Responding to God, we, we are responding to His grace, responding to what He has done, and we are trying to offer Him up. Not just, hey, thanks, but a beautiful thanks. A thoughtful thanks. We gather as the people of God to celebrate His redeeming presence among us, to celebrate the gospel through worship, but also we rejoice through word in our evangelism. 
Now, that word evangelism might be an off-putting term or it might be a term that makes you worried like, oh, goodness, he's going to tell me I've got to go preach at people or he's going to tell me I've got to go pass out Bible tracts and tell people uh, uh, about their eternal destinations and, and how they need to choose A or B. But evangelism is about the proclamation of the gospel. It is the declaration of good news. And the, the, the substance of that good news, the foundation points of that good news, is really kind of threefold. First, that God's kingdom is coming. And that's what John the Baptist was preaching to the people as he was evangelizing, as he was proclaiming the good news. He was saying, you'd better repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It is coming. And we celebrate the coming of that kingdom in the birth of Jesus, the eternal son, and in his life as he lived, touching those who needed to be healed and speaking words of forgiveness to those bound by sin. We celebrate and proclaim the coming of the kingdom. But the proclamation of the gospel is also a declaration that Jesus is Lord. And throughout the New Testament, you have Jesus' lordship tied to his death and resurrection. That as God's Messiah, he has died to redeem us and he has raised us up to new life in the risen body that came out of the tomb. And so the church would declare, Jesus is Lord. This is a foundational part of the proclamation of the gospel. This is what evangelism is. God's kingdom is coming. Jesus is Lord. And even now, new creation is breaking in. As the church, we declare not just that Christ was born, not just that He lived, not just that He died, not just that He was resurrected, but that He has ascended to the Father and that He will one day return and put the world back together. And we see foretastes of that new creation breaking in as we see among us and around us lives that are being put back together. In fact, that's the way Paul words it. We, we read that passage to the Corinthians, if any man is in Christ, behold, he is a new creation. And we, we read it very prosaically, but he says it almost poetically. He says, if any man is in Christ, new creation." He doesn't have time for, for verbs. He doesn't have time to put together a complete thought. He says, if you're in Christ, boom, new creation. It's, it's breaking forth in our lives. We see new creation breaking in, in a foretasting type way, as families are mended and put back together, as congregations bind themselves to one another and declare that they're going to live in the love of Christ together and that they're going to share that love in their community. And so again, that word evangelism might, might scare you and make you think, oh man, I'm going to have to talk to somebody. Well, you probably are going to have to talk to somebody. But evangelism is about declaring that God has come to redeem. That He is establishing His kingdom among us. That Jesus is indeed Lord. And He's Lord in our lives. And He's Lord of the entire world. And He is going to put this world back together. We rejoice through word. 
but we rejoice also through deed. Because we're called not just to say nice things, not just to proclaim good things. We are called to rejoice in the activities of our lives, in the interactions of our lives, through our kindness and through our charity, through our kindness toward those that are around us, and through our charity toward those who are in need. We are called to be engaged in this world with the lives of others. We often find ourselves too busy to be engaged. We're in the checkout line and the, the cashier's trying to talk with us and, and we're, we've got too much on our minds, too much on our plates, too much that we've got to get to. We're already thinking about what we've got to get at the next store and how we're going to fight the traffic to get to that next store. But we must slow down in life and become engaged even in our conversations. We ought to be generous in our joy. Too often we're far too stressed to be generous in our joy. Maybe we think, oh, I need to be joyful, so we try to slap a label of joy on our lives. But we ought to do more than just slapping a label on our lives and trying to put a smile on our face. We ought to become generous in our joy. We are called to rejoice in our deeds. In both word and in deed. This Advent, we have the opportunity to redeem a jaded season. Marketing tells us this is the Christmas season. Liturgy tells us this is the Advent season. Christmas will come. This is a season filled with stress. It is a season filled with anxiety. But we are invited through the Gospel and we are invited by Emmanuel, God with us, to find joy. And if we can't find it, we're called to make joy. You know, that's sometimes how, how the Christian life is. Sometimes it's hard to find joy. Sometimes it's hard to find peace. But just like friends, sometimes you can't find them, you've got to make them. So if you haven't done so yet, I want to encourage you, there's still time. Slow down, slow down, there's still time. Play your favorite songs. Even if you've got to play them over and over again, even if it drives the kids nuts, or even if it drives your, your spouse batty, play your favorite songs if that is a way for you to create joy in your life this season. Make hot cocoa. Make it multiple times. You can, you can diet in January. You know you're going to commit to doing that anyhow. Make hot cocoa or cider or, or hot tea if that's what you're into. Make joy. Make peace. Drive the neighborhoods. Not just your neighborhood, but the neighborhood beside yours. And perhaps if it's late at night and the kids have already fallen asleep in the back of the car, drive through some more neighborhoods and look at the lights. There's still time. But we must make time.
Again, this is an opportunity that we have as God's people who, who say we believe the gospel, who say we believe that God's kingdom is coming, who say we believe that Jesus is Lord and that we've given our lives to Him so that He can be Lord of our lives, and who say that we believe that He's going to put all things back together, that He's going to right all wrongs. We have an opportunity to let that bear out fruit in our lives by redeeming this jaded season. And so today we celebrate because Jesus is Lord and He is Emmanuel, God with us. We are not alone no matter how alone we might feel. And that's not an invitation to just bank on, well, it's just me and Jesus. At least He hadn't left me alone. Again, if you don't have friends, make friends. We celebrate today. And in our making a joyful shout to God, to the world it may sound like a ridiculous noise. It may sound like all we're doing is is making a bunch of audible riffraff, talking about this king who was a baby, talking about the world being put back together when it seems so wrong. But as God's people, we are called to proclaim to one another and to the world that its rightful Lord has come and He is coming again. And so we have reason to celebrate. Let's pray.